everybody, I'm Jody Marks, and welcome to Breaking It Down with Jody Marks, brought to you by P3 Theater Company, where every week I sit down and talk with a new group of panelists who not only help educate us all, but also help give the Black community a voice on topics and conversations that should have happened a long time ago. You can also watch the show live by going to P3 Theater Company's Facebook Live every Wednesday at 6.30 Pacific Time, where if you have a question on the week's topic, we'll be happy to answer it. Now sit back, listen, and learn, because we're about to break it down. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Breaking It Down with Jody Marks. My name is Jody Marks, and we are on episode five. So today, where our topic is going to be self-love and confidence in the Black community. And I am so excited to have these panelists with us today. We have Natalie J. Gray and Desiree Rue. And these ladies are amazing. They embody self-love and confidence. And we're going to see how they got there. You know, talk a little bit, chat. Um, so will you ladies please let the audience know your backgrounds? Desiree. Yeah, well, I'm, yeah thank you, Natalie. I'm Desiree and um, I have a bit of a, what I consider a not a little bit of a curvy background. Um, Career-wise, I'm a licensed clinical social worker and I've been a social worker for about 30 years, worked with all populations of people and always include self-care and self-love in everything that I do, whether I'm working with children or adults, um, individuals, if I'm working with families or groups. And I'm also a freelance writer. Um, I write, my niche is food and travel. And so I've taken my passion um, and turned it into a little profit and a little project from time to time. So that's what I do. I, I'm all about people. I've always taken care of myself and, and taking care of others is what I do for a living and for love. Pretty much. I love that. Awesome. I thought like she said curvy. I was like, wow, I like that. Curvy, <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, that's right. Yeah. I know that was good. I was like, I like that. No, um, I am Natalie Gray, Natalie J. Gray. I um, have been in music literally in my entire life from different facets. I'm a vocalist, I'm a pianist, composer, uh, mm -hmm. producer. Uh, I'm also an educator or inspirer, like I like to call myself. I love to breathe life into other artists, into different people, because we all need it. It's an exchange that we have. Mm -hmm. And I'm also a businesswoman. I uh, own a company called Definitive Measure LLC, which is a Los Angeles-based uh, entertainment company uh, that specializes in artist development and production and things like that. So I'm just a musician through and through. I've been doing it since before I could talk, uh, and I am still doing it 34 years later. And so that is who I am, and that's how I'm here for the love and for the life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love that you both are giving back. You know, you're not just you, like you're both like helping people learn themselves because mm -hmm. that's both of your professions, you know, and I love that. That's just amazing. Mm -hmm. So I also want to ask what has been your own journey towards self love and confidence? Have you found any bumps in the road? Oh, God. Oh yeah. Go Natalie. Go Natalie. Go Natalie. Go. Oh, You'd be like, so do we have time? Make that <laughs> <sure>. no. <laughs> no, um, it has been a journey to say the least. I am so proud of the progress that I've made. And that is actually why it is so important for me to always have this sort of dual thing in my life where I'm pursuing my passions, but I'm also breathing life into other people because there were so many things that I wish that I had. And there are also things that I didn't have that and now I'm so um, uh, conscious about instilling into other people. 
right? Uh, I wasn't always the most confident person. I definitely had <laughs> an insane amount of insecurities that I had to deal with um, as an artist, as a person. There were just things that I had to deal with my entire life. And I'm so proud that I can finally say I'm in the healthiest place that I've ever been um, mentally, spiritually, physically. I'm just so confident in myself that that was such a journey of like working through things and not feeling like I was good enough and, you know, dealing with um, mm. toxic people and their own toxic uh, behavior and their own insecurities and how that can then be projected onto you. And so I've definitely gone from literally from being a child to now I'm 34 uh, and I've just come to such a healthy place, but it was a struggle. Uh, <laughs> To say the absolute least, it was an absolute struggle, um, but I'm just grateful to be here. And I know we'll have like so many topics to probably get into, I'll sh share more specific things, but I think that in a nutshell is uh, kind of where I am now with it, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, Natalie, um, amazing. Like, I'm so excited. I just really want to just listen to you talk, okay? <laughs> but, I think that probably the common word is struggle. Um, confidence is something that you work toward. Um, my journey has included a lot of work. Um, I have been, um, I was bullied as a as young person um, because my hair wasn't long. Um, I was bullied. Um, I always wanted what I didn't have. I wanted to be light skinned. I wanted to have long hair so that I could bump it up like everyone else. I've always compared myself to something and I never came up long. I always came up short. And when I turned 40, you know, when you have those birthdays that have the O's or fives behind them, you, you start really looking at your life. And I had to ask myself, is this what you want to be doing forever? Is it a bad relationship? Is it a bad marriage? Had, had had a bad marriage before that bad marriage. So it's been a lot of work to get where I am. And then I decided to choose me. And then I decided, I literally decided that I was good enough. And I decided that I liked myself, all of me, the curves, the roles, the short hair, the long hair, the everything. And once I decided that I was good enough, it was a struggle to get here, but it has not been a struggle to stay here. Um, the struggle to stay here has really been for other people. Mm. Who, when you decide that you are good enough and you hold your ground to you, it shakes other people. And so... Um, Really, since I turned 40 up until now, I'll be 51 in October. The journey for others, it has really been for others, not for me. <laughs> so, yeah. So how do I get here? A lot of work and a lot of struggle. And I made a choice. And I chose me. And that's how I got here. I love that. First of all, yes, 51. You look hey. good. Okay. Hey. <laughs> Y'all look good. Okay, black is beautiful. You know, you know. What they say, you know what they say. You know what they say. <laughs> you mean like I'm, you mean like I'm 150, you know. You're right. 
when you say, you know, struggle, you know, for the black community, self-love and confidence is such a struggle Mm -hmm. in the times that we live in, you know, like you said, whether it be hair or skin color, how, why is it so important to have a self-love and confidence in the black community? Well, I, I think that it's, it's important because it's sort of the platform that we fly from, right? And I think that as a woman and as a Black woman for a long time, we, we have a different code of what beauty is. What beauty is in, in, in the Black community is curves, it's, um, it's confidence, it's, it's a lot of things that it's not in the mainstream. And when you really don't know who you are, you get confused. And so I think that it's such a struggle for us because we we're we get to this place, but we get confused because what's important to us at home or what we hear is important aren't the things that we see or that we're told is important in beauty and confidence. So I just think that it's 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 important because we we make decisions off of how we feel about ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. When you love yourself, you can love others. When you love yourself, you can receive love. You can never get, (laughs) no one will ever love you more than you love yourself, period. And that is seen and felt in every, the way you parent, the way you work, the way you shop, (laughs) okay? Um, It's in everything. So I think it's so important because it is the platform from which we jump into life, how we feel about ourselves. Mm-hmm. I love that. I think that self-love and confidence beyond on a black level is a huge mm-hmm. thing. Yes. Right? And so it's important for anybody to feel great about themselves because when you have that mentality, then you do things a little bit different. You mm-hmm. have this awareness about yourself. And it is my personal philosophy that when you have this awareness for yourself, you can not only you know, appreciate uh, and love the things that you do, but you can also appreciate what other people do. There's not this competitiveness. There's not all these other things that's from it, right? So that's on a human level. And I say that because, you know, probably a little bit bit down the line, um, even when you do get into racism and hatred, that makes me think that you don't like yourself because you hate me. That's a whole nother conversation, right? And so I think that within the Black community, it's important for us to learn who we are because I think the intention from the get-go was to shape our minds to forget who we are. Because if I forget who I am and if I don't know who I am, Mm -hmm. then what I start doing is I behave in this lost manner sort of to the way that you were speaking of Desiree. You know what I mean? And yep. so I, then I don't know, then here's the, here's the situation. I now put myself in the position to allow other people to misuse it, to use what and I define it. And define it. And define it. Mm-hmm. Define it. And that's why a lot of times you do see in history, I, I, I'm big on, you know, for like younger people uh, uh, to teach them, not that our history starts as slavery. No, 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 no. You know, it starts well beyond that. I'm really big on, um, uh, even in, in, the, in the class that I would teach at AMDA, uh, uh, and Jody was in my class, I would always uh, highlight 
all sorts of artists. I think that's one of the things I could really appreciate about uh, going to the illustrious Howard University was that they taught hey. hey. thank you. <laughs> yes, ma'am. You know, HBCU in the house. Yes. You know, yes. What I love about it was that we didn't learn about things that the traditional education. It was sure. from every perspective. So you got to learn about Black classical uh, uh, composers. You know, I had the opportunity to um, meet, you know, people like the great uh, late uh, Jessie Norman, right? And to to speak with her and have this um, interaction with her and for me to see a Black opera singer, you know, uh, was huge for me, you know, because growing up, you know, I had such a vast background in different things that I did, right? Like uh, I always tell people a, a part of my, uh, I really walk into the gray part of my name in the sense of there's so many shades of Natalie Gray, Natalie J. Gray. Mm. Uh, and it depends on the music that I come from because I come from a classical, I studied classical piano as a kid, but I also uh, studied uh, gospel in church. And then I, you know, toured and did things as a kid singing, you know, with gospel artists, but I also did show choir. And then I did jazz voice at Howard and so many things, right? But I remember being a kid going to that conversation. And again, the self-love, not having people um, that were always interested in what I was interested in, mm -hmm. right? So I had moments when like classical piano, I didn't know a lot of people, you know, that looked like me, <laughs> you know, that did that. And so there were either people that could, you know, speak life into that and encourage me, or there were people that because of their own ignorance, and you know, would make fun of you and different things like that. So now you're confused. Now you're trying to figure out what's going on, right? And so again, there's just so many stories that I had like that, where I was not sure taking myself into the narrative of self-love and confidence, where I was not sure about who I was. So I either um, was always seeking it from people who would never give it and they were never the people that needed to give it in the first place. Or right. I was, you know, getting it from different sources or seeking it from different sources or you're being abused by people who know that you're good but they'll never tell you that you're good you know for their own selfish uh, yeah. oh yeah mm -hmm. oh yeah you know, all these different things so again going back to that narrative of again just having that awareness of who you are seeing yourself in different uh shades so to speak seeing yourself in different lights seeing that you are there are surgeons you know that there are uh that we're genius we're brilliant. Do you see the things, even on Instagram, do you see the things that we create? You yeah. know, yeah. I mean, all yeah. sorts of things. But when you yeah. don't know, when you don't know, that's the problem. Because now you can be, it can be misused. Now, now you don't know. And now you feel like, again, going, you have to fit into this narrative of who you have to be. You have to sing this type of way. You have to be this right. type of way. We spoke right. about that a little bit about right. uh, just in different genres about how you have to be this, there's this narrative, right? But when you know that there's endless possibilities that go with this array of all the shades of who we are as a people, not just with black people, but people in general, right? But when you understand that you can really do some, you know, amazing things and you can walk in confidence yes. you know, yeah. from there, you know? I yeah. love that you, I'm sorry, Jody. No, go. Oh, I, I love that you mentioned Howard 
and what Howard University instilled in you as a student and particularly as a black student, the confidence in being who you were by exposing you um, to some really great and a lot of exposure that you wouldn't have had otherwise, but that helped build your confidence in your craft. And I would say I was a social work student. So I went to Howard and got a master's degree in social work. And that is the one thing that they, hey, well, I'm just, they said to us, you are a social worker and you you create the narrative for the people you work with. You don't allow others to tell you how to work within the communities that you work in. And that for me was permission to express and show in the way that I worked, what I wrote, about the communities that I worked in. It provided me, they told me to be confident about who I was because of the training that I was receiving and that my voice in this world of social work deserved the respect because it was an educated voice. And so you mentioned, you know, that is something we talk about HBCUs and people say, you know, well, why, you know, why just go to a black college and university? Because for many of us, the exercise of confidence comes from those places because they teach us in a in that way that when we leave there we are confident about who we are we are starting to develop it we you might lose it along the way because life pulls you but at the the end of the day you have a foundation that you you come from so i was excited to hear that um from the uh you know the art side cuz i was over on the social work side but the message was the same. You are good enough yeah. and you go into this community and you do your craft and you stand on it. So I was happy to hear that. I love that. You know, just both like hearing you both come from Howard. I went to a school in Maine where it was all prominently white, white kids for my first college before going to AMDA where I met Natalie. Um, she was my first African-American teacher. Wow. Like, I don't know if you know that you were my first, like I went through all my life, but no one. So like, that's the thing, right? Like you're still trying to find yourself, but you're having people teach you and they're supposed to like give you confidence to ask questions or do stuff. But that's so different because Natalie honestly was like the first person I could go to and be like, Hey girl, I have a question, <laughs> you know, and like have a one-on-one -on -one conversation and actually be like, I don't feel good today or like, I don't, I don't feel good about myself. She'd be like, let's talk about it. Here we go. But no teacher ever did that with me, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's like funny to hear that because now I'm thinking, yes, you know, you do find your self love and your confidence in like creating that environment for yourself. Mm -hmm. And Howard sounds amazing. Oh, I Hi, first of all, Jody, I'm almost, I'm trying not to cry. I get emotional. Um, that is, first of all, very deep for me. You know, I'm emotional. Uh, <laughs> we both are. It's okay. We I can tell. I can tell. Yes, I can tell. You are emotional. You know what? It took, it took me a long time to get to the place to feel that's a part of my freedom to be able to express yeah. my feelings mm -hmm. and, and to not hold them in and to not feel like I'm weak by doing it, by saying, yeah. you know, yeah. this is that. So that's also a part of growth, being able to stand in your strength and also be strong enough to express, you know, um, but that just kind of, I never knew that I was your first, first queen of color 
<laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's inspiring. I had so many students um, come to me uh, that's expressed that sentiment or would just say, you know, um, you know, especially, you know, uh, I, they were like, I didn't know you were the, the professor, you know, the, because I, you know, had my hair and sometimes I've come in with you you were my shoes or my pins, you know, and different things like that. And just to hear them say, you know, I looked up to you and you inspired me to do different things. And, you know, I even had, um, uh, you know, uh, kids from different cultures uh, and nationalities say, you were my first introduction, you know, uh, to people of color. And to know that I could inspire them, that was their first interaction because their interaction was from television or, yeah. you know, whatever the case is. So that's just mm -hmm. very deep um, that that was your first interaction. And I feel honored uh, to know that I could, you know, give you a positive reflection um, and to challenge you to be better. Because I think the understanding, I think, is what is there. Um, you need people to get it. I, I, I'm really big on exploration. I've always been like that, even as a kid. Um, I liked different types of things. I like to travel. I like to read different types of things. I had friends from all sorts of backgrounds, you know. Um, I went to predominantly white uh, uh, high schools and different things like that. And so I had all sorts of people that I interacted with, right? Um, but I think that it's important to have people that reflect um, you, you know, who you are because they have a different perspective. And I think that when you do travel and when you do interact with different people, you do listen to different genres, right? Mm -hmm. It gives you a, a well-rounded perspective, you know, um, to be able to show people something different and not limited, right? So you may have had other teachers who had never interacted so with other people of color. So how can you now tell me what a person of color should be like exactly. if you yourself have never really interacted with a person of color? Yeah. And even wanted to know, yeah. even if you hadn't really known, even just wanted to know, that's why I shout out, you know, P3 Theater for even yes. exploring. Yes. Exploring, it doesn't mean that that you don't love yourself. I feel like this shows me how confident they are that they're, you know, yeah. they look like, oh, it doesn't take anything away from me to have this particular conversation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I just think that just that that interaction alone is just very uh inspiring. I have to digest that a little bit more. That I was your first person. Yeah. I mean, growing up, really, you know, positive representation. Growing up was like the oldie artist that my like papa would introduce me to, or you know what I mean? Like my parents would introduce me to. And growing up, I was like, oh, you know, the oldies. And then I'd go to school and they'd be like, Disney Channel. And I'd be like, all right. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like the positive representation isn't always there when, when I was growing up, or any like any person of color growing up, like in toys, you know in TV and film where the slave or the, the gang member or, you know what I mean? And then you, as a kid, you like, look at that. And then you see, well, what's my worth? Like, is this the standard of beauty? Because all you see is a sea of Caucasian dolls, but no doll looks like you. And then you go, do I, am I pretty? 
like that's what goes through your head as a child and I remember my mom was really good at this because I think she picked up like nah this is not it like so she got me an American girl doll that looked like me Mm. and I remember feeling like oh my gosh this is me you know what I mean like just that like joy it brings to a child like oh I'm not I'm I'm not ugly like they have dolls out there that look like me and I actually wanted to bring that up because there are two companies that I really know of. It's called Natural Hair Dolls. And they have African-American like Barbies, essentially, and they all have just natural hair. And I love that. Like they have dreads, they have braids, they have curly hair, they have afros. And then there's the fresh dolls, which is you can go buy and and they're like, they're basically like American girl dolls, kind of in that sense. And they, they can match your hair as well. And that's what I think is so interesting now because that wasn't an option mm-hmm. when I was growing up, you know? And I think that's important. And I, and I want to hear your perspective on why you guys think positive representation is important when growing up and finding your self-love. Mm-hmm. Well, I, w- I would, too, to your point, um, you know, when, as you were talking, the word that was coming to my mind was struggle. Right. When we talk about why is it a struggle, it is a struggle oftentimes for us to get to the center of who we are because we don't always have that representation, whether it be in school or on TV. Um, I remember only having well, I had a mixture of dolls, black and white. And my mother told me, you take care of your white dolls way better than you take care of your black dolls. And then she started taking the white dolls away (laughs) because she started to see that I was developing that the white dolls were better than in my mind, in my psyche. I was kind of developing that. Mm -hmm. And so little by little, my dolls started disappearing and she would tell me that they were gone away. And then I started and then eventually I just didn't like I had a baby alive and now I'm a little older. So I didn't I've never really was in the bar. I always had the dolls. You had to take care of them. And again, I seemingly was started to take care. My mother recognized that my psyche was was um, not working out well. I was heading in the wrong direction. Um, and so. I think then she became really focused on making sure that I understood who I was from all perspectives um, and started bringing a lot of books. I used to read a lot of books and all of my books had brown characters in them. Or um, she just started making sure that I was aware. And I think that is our struggle. We have to grasp so many things to figure out sometimes who we are, where we start from. The difference now, I think, is that we we as parents and a as people who are, there are more people, including brands and um, who recognize the importance, right? They're recognizing it. So it's not as difficult to find the things that you're looking for um, because the world is starting to recognize what we always knew and wasn't necessarily able to access, but now we're able to access it and create businesses and create things that look like us, movies, my gosh, movies, Um, movies, dolls, uh, things that we wear, technology, like we're in everything. Um, And I think that that is an evolution of the confidence that we're, we're developing in the community. 
in the black community, that we're starting to develop our, our consciousness to say that we are enough. So we're enough to make it, we're enough to sell it, um, we're enough to make this our representation. And I think that's the difference. I think that's that's the difference. Mm -hmm. I love that. A couple things. I'm a jotter, so sometimes you'll see me like looking over oh, here. Oh, good. I'm like, uh huh, I never. Um, a couple things jumped out at me um, when you were talking, the both of you. Uh, one of the things that jumped out to me is about uh, the concept of uh, hair and different things like that. Um, and what that looks like to have that sort of representation and that confidence of who you are instilled, right? Uh, I say that like, um, with my like with my nieces or just with anybody, I have four nieces, um, ranging from one that's like you know almost a grown woman, you know she thinks she's grown, <laughs> to uh, to you know a new niece who's like literally like two weeks old, and um, I'm always really big on instilling from from my reach, right, and I say that my reach. Um, into them. So like, so for I, I, the two middle ones are both uh, like in the same age group. They're both six going on seven, one, seven, one's about to be seven. And I'm always encouraging them. I'm always saying things like, oh, you're brilliant. Oh, you're so beautiful. And I'd be like, say, I am brilliant. And they're like, I am brilliant. You know, and I, and I, and I, I make them say these things. I encourage them. Like, so if they're reading, I'm like, oh, that's brilliant. You know, or if there are natural hairs there, I'm like, girl, your hair is beautiful. Right. I do it from my level of reach or I'm really big on sparking their imagination. Right. So, um, they're both you know, especially the two middle ones and all of them, like, you know, uh, um, they're in that stage, that, that fragile stage, right? Where they're before the world gets to them and starts, you know, messing up their minds. Um, like, uh, for instance, my, my uh, niece Ava, she's in this, she loves wearing costumes, right? So, and not just like in the house, in general, oh, right? Oh yeah. So, you know, like she'll want to walk around, you know, in the grocery store in a snow white outfit, you know, let her do it. And I'm like, I'll do it. Auntie, you know, wear a gown with you. You know, I do these things to instill it from my reach. And the reason why I say from my reach is because as important as it is on the mainstream level, it is equally as important on the local level on the reach from a teacher to an aunt, um, to a friend, to uh, a choir director at a church. I've had many people who encouraged me, you know, uh, just along the way on that local level to supplement what may not be on the massive level. So why it's equal is important, I think, on the massive level. And we were speaking to that in the movies and, you know, with the Barbie dolls, um, with, um, uh, I love, I love seeing, uh, more black chefs and, you know, oh, yeah. all sorts of people, you know, um, awesome. like my brother is into like space and different things like that. I love that. Right. I, I never even knew somebody that liked that until I met him, you know, um, or just to see people that do different things within your reach. Right. It kind of makes me think of the Bible when it says first in Jerusalem. 
then Judea, then Samaria, you know? And so we have to make sure that we are all doing our part, right? The village is doing their part to say, yes, we want it in the movies. But yes, we also want it at a local level. So if you may not be in a movie, do your part to instill into your peers, to the elders, right? I, I always instill some of my grandmothers, my uncles, whoever it is, but also to the, to the generation coming after us on that level to say, hey, you know, let me uh, encourage you on this level, right? It could be something simple. I, uh, I've had the opportunity, um, I always make time, I don't always publicize, but I always make time um, to instill in sometimes uh, underserved, uh, underserved, underserved communities. Even when I was in school and college, I, uh, I was teaching and I was vocal coaching for different artists and arranging, but I was also like a performing arts director for, you know, like um, a, um, uh, a nonprofit organization in DC. And I would go to these communities, you know, in DC that sometimes their area was their area. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. They lived there, they went to school there, mm-hmm. right? Everything was there, right? And so for me to come into their world, you know, was huge, you know, for me to give them a different perspective. And I just remember saying, wow, had I not come to that local level, right? That local level, yeah, I'm working with artists and I'm doing this, but had I not come to that local level, some of these kids would have never seen a person like themselves with that perspective, right? So I do think that while it's equally as important that we, and that we have it on a massive level, it is, it is equally as important that we do it within our reach. So if it's your neighbor, you know, if it's your, you know, your cousin, you know, your church member, whoever, it is equally your responsibility to perpetuate the positivity because unlike, um, some people that are getting it necessarily from other cultures, right? The, the rejection, a lot of mine came from within the culture. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, of people who didn't necessarily understand and have awareness within themselves to um, always instill positivity into me because maybe it was a thing of, I had people say, oh, you think you're better. Why do you have to use that word? You think you're better than me. I'm like, no, I just like to read the dictionary and I'm educated. <laughs> I, I have a vast vocabulary, right? Because in fifth grade, I would have a teacher, Miss Bungett, who would make us use words like jocular and loquacious in fifth grade. And she would make us use it in a sentence and she would make us read poetry. And she was a queen of color. She went to Howard and she did all these different things. So she would instill that, right? So I would have people that would say things like, oh, you think you're too good because you're using these words those little things and all sorts of things. So yes, it's, it's important that we think about it from with, you know, outside of the community, but also within the community that we love ourselves enough to embrace our diversity and start working within the community. So that way those external factors don't have as much punch. Right. You understand what I'm saying? I think too, when, when you said um, that a lot of, you know, hurt has come from within the community. People not under, you know, or wanting, feeling, trying to make you feel a certain kind of way because you are expressing your confidence is exactly to what I was speaking about when I first started talking, that when you choose you, sometimes the difficulty is not so much you, but in other people. 
Um, and then when you recognize your queendom and you start living your life in that way, it does, um, it can impact other people. And, and so um, you have to know who you are um, in order to move from that. I love everything that you have just said about starting in your circle. Like Jody, I'm trying to figure out how I can sign up to take Natalie's class. I need I need to be sitting at Natalie's feet. Okay, I need to be sitting at your feet, sis, because you are spitting so much wisdom right now. But it is so true that you we do have a responsibility to each other. Um, in my work that I do in social work, I work a lot with adults and with women who are not at this space yet to where they have chosen themselves. And because for some reason, choosing yourself feels selfish. And historically, we are, black women have always been nurturers. We have been the one that has taken care of everyone. Our men, other people's children, our children. So it is always a to get to a place where you put yourself first. Um, and it's a diff- it's a difficult journey to get there. So even in working, not only instilling that in very young minds in the very young psyche, it's also important. You know, we do that same work with adults, people who are still learning how to love themselves, and that is so that's so real. There's so many so many women that are still learning to be confident, self confident, not. Um, uh, confident because someone told them they were good. Mm-hmm. Self-confident that they start. So many people are still trying to to get to that journey. So um, that's one of the things I I try to just model the behavior and and give people permission to choose themselves um, because it's it's the quest of everything. I love that. I love that. I wanted to speak to something. I know you probably have to move on, Jody, but I love what you were talking about with adult women, right? Um, And people in general. Um, I have a couple of workshops uh, that I'm going to be doing soon. Um, And one of the things that we do, it's like a finding your voice uh, uh, workshop because a lot of the work that I do in my own personal um, teaching methodology is helping people get back to the confidence that they lost along the way, right? A lot of people, adults are hurting because of child things, right? Mm -hmm. Something that happened. And that's why if you pay attention, I always tell people that the devil, the enemy, whoever you want to call it, mm-hmm. the goal is always to get the children. It's always to get you along your journey. It's always meant to knock you off before you get to that place of confidence, right? Because if I can instill these things along the way, children are naturally confident. If you pay attention, they're naturally confident, right? As, a, as I remember, as a child, I was comp- I, I, I was just Natalie, right? There were things I loved, and I, it was just who I am, what it was, right? You pay attention to children. They, they want to wear their hair the way you want to wear. I'm like, okay, 
okay, they do it. It's all right. You know, they, 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 they want to express themselves. They want to do certain things. Right. But as you start to get older, you have those people who say things about your hair. You have people that say things about the way that you talk, the way that you look, the way that you think. Right. And so if you don't have those people along the way, um, people that I had or people that I didn't have saying, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. Case in point, I remember um, as a kid, um, I, I was always in getting music. Um, my grandmother would be like, she's a genius, you know, Natalie's a genius, right? Um, and I remember being around 12 years old. I was taking piano um, for several years, classical piano and singing in church. And I remember going to a choir rehearsal and um, everybody was like showing off like, you know, what they could do, right? On the organ and on the piano. So I was like, they're like, who doesn't just sing? Who plays instruments? So I'm like, oh, this is the time. Y'all don't even know. I've been doing this for years, right? And so everybody's showing their gospel chops and all these different things, right? And I get up and I played Bach. Right? Right? I played Bach. Yes, you did. <laughs> yeah. And they laughed at me. They laughed at me. They laughed at me. And it wasn't that the kids laughed. You know what hurt? That the adults laughed too. There was no adult that could say, wait a minute, maybe y'all just don't know about Bach. Right. There was no adult that was educated enough to know that Bach was actually a church organist. It could have been right? a teachable moment. How would you say? Mm-hmm. So that could have been a teachable moment. Teachable moment. But there was no adult that, while they're making fun of me, could say, oh, y'all just don't know. Y'all laughing, but y'all don't know. There was nobody there. And I remember, because at that time, I, I, I used to go to the Bogart School of Music. And then at that time, I was actually taking piano lessons with a professor at uh, University of Louisville. And I just came in one time and didn't want to take piano lessons again. And my grandmother's like, she probably doesn't even know this. Granny, if you're watching on the Facebook, as she likes to call it, this is what happened. <laughs> um, I just don't want to take it anymore. And it was because I hadn't found my tribe of people, the people, the nucleus that I was around did not supplement who I was. I loved classical piano, right? I love gospel, you know, music to the core, but I also love classical piano, right? I listened to Beethoven, Moonlight Sonata, every day for about a month. I'm sorry to my sisters if you're watching, you know, I listened to that every day for about a month. You know, Moonlight Sonata is where I could literally sing it. Every night I would listen to it. That's the first thing I bought, right? I asked my mom to buy for me. I loved it, but I stopped playing it at that moment because I didn't feel confident. And then of course, years later, I got back into it where I had people like the late great Mr. Pittman from the Louisville Mill High School, a chorus teacher who would say things like, Natalie, you can sing. He would he do things, but I had people that didn't understand my voice and they didn't, they would say, oh, you can't sing. Or I would have an innovative idea to do something and they would be literate, right? And so I had different experiences, right? That made me not confident. Or if I had ideas that maybe people hadn't done yet, a good example of hadn't done yet. I remember um, in gospel choir, we was asked to um, sing a solo. Everyone had to sing a solo. And 
I decided to sing Total Praise by the great Richard Smallwood as a solo. Now at that time, Donnie McClurkin hadn't done it and it was not the thing to do, right? Yeah. They laughed at me. Who sings a choir song as a solo? That's so silly. I mean, and I heard people, they didn't say it to my face, I walked past people and I heard them laughing at me, right? Of course, years later, Don, later Donnie McClurkin does and all these different people do. And they're it. like, oh, it's amazing. Oh, they're like, yeah. it's amazing, mm. right? But I didn't have the confidence. So it took me years to get confident in my voice, years to get confident in my musical genius, years to get confident in who I was as a pianist, years to get confident in the beauty of who Natalie was totally because I did not have people on those local levels saying it and going back to the narrative of those women that you work with Desiree that's a lot of the reasons why they don't because maybe they had an innovative idea or maybe they they didn't have somebody to encourage them along the way and you look up and you're 50 and you're 60 or you're 40 and you're 30 and you don't know who you are Mm -hmm. because you have been shaped by other people's ideals of who you are or their limited ideas of who you are Mm -hmm. and now you're lost and now you're trying to figure out where do I go? Who am I? What do I do? You know, and all these different things. So I just wanted to speak to, I know I kind of, you know, but I wanted to, you know, yeah. uh, share my own experience, but I think that's a big reason why people uh, lose it along the way and they become adults and they're lost. Yeah. No, this mm-hmm. is actually good because we actually have two questions that on the Facebook, um, one question is how do you encourage those with less confidence? Mm. You want to speak to that? Yeah. Well, one of the things, um, I first thing I do is really try to understand where it is, but to encourage a person with less confidence um, is to really it's it's to understand their fear. What what is it that you are afraid you will lose by being confident, by showing up? What is it? What is it that you believe? Right. So the only thing that matters is what you believe. Someone says something negative about you. It's only true if you believe it. So what is it that you really believe? And what is it that you're afraid of that you will lose by being confident? Because some people fear that by that confidence means saying no, because sometimes it does mean saying no, mm-hmm. if it's not what you want. And so you may fear losing um, approval. You may um, fear losing um, status or position. So really just addressing, asking yourself those two questions. What am I afraid of losing? And um, ask that one question. What are you afraid of losing? What does being confident, um, what will it take away from you to do that? So I would encourage someone to ask themselves those two questions, like honestly, themselves, whether it's through journaling, um, but just keep asking yourself what it is. Because confidence is something that lies in all of us. It is just, some, there's a reason why we choose not to bring it forth. Mm-hmm. Why is it so hard to be honest with ourselves though? You know, like how do, how do we get to that point? Cause so many people are hiding within themselves. Well, I think a lot of people are hiding within themselves because of um, what's externally happening. Again, it, Something is going to happen when you stand up, you are at risk, right? You're at risk of um, possibly being rejected for what you believe. Um, You are at risk for not meeting someone else's expectations. 
Um, and so some people feel that that is too much of a risk. And so they want to just, they're, they don't like where they are, but where they are, it's comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of people are risk averse, period. Is, as um, Natalie has so eloquently said, that when you stand in your own space, sometimes people will laugh at you. Sometimes people will not believe you or not encourage you. And for some people, that is more important than not. It's more important for them to be um, approved of. Um, and, and a lot of times, a lot of confidence issues are rooted in people wanting or comparing themselves to others, right? You compare yourself to someone else and you never win, <laughs> never, because you were never supposed to be them. That's why you never win. But um, a lot of, you know, there are a lot of other underlying issues, but it, I can imagine for some, it is difficult, but it doesn't mean you can never get there. You, mm-hmm. you have to choose yourself yes, and all yes. that comes with it, which may even mean people not agreeing or understanding or people turning away. But that comes with, sometimes comes with choosing yourself. Yeah. And I think, especially for people of color, you know, we're always taught to be the quiet person, you know, don't speak out. Don't, don't. Because it's a risk. There is a risk to doing that. Right. We all know that there is a risk. It's become like a, (laughs) a survival technique. I guess it is a survival technique. Yeah. You know, like you, you hunch your shoulders, you, you make yourself little and, and that's the thing in finding your self love and your confidence is you become taller, you know, you speak out, you, you have a voice, you know, you're not voiceless. You, you can make a difference and you just need to find the confidence to do it. It's, it's and, to, and to be okay with the consequences. I tell, I say this all the time. I show up in every room that I go into the same way because I decided a long time ago that I have a standard operation of being, period. Um, it does not matter what you have on. It doesn't matter how you do your work. I show up the same way. I dress for work. I don't care if I dress up for work and I don't care if I work in a very casual environment. I'm always going to come to work dress. That's my standard operational procedure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes that comes with some risk of people not understanding me, of people misinterpreting my confidence for being um, intimidating. Right. I've heard that a lot. Mm-hmm. You intimidate your coworkers. Well, uh, that is something that they'll have to deal with because I only show up one way. I'm not accountable for their feeling because I'm being confident. It's um, the angry black woman. Right. A lot. And a lot of times it's attributed to aspects of Um, Mm self-confidence. And so there is some risk in being who you are sometimes. But to me, the risk is is not greater than the reward. And the reward for me is that I'm always honest with who I am. Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm. always honest with who I am. And when you you say the, the angry black woman, we all heard that or the intimidating I, I've always looked at that, like it took me a really long time to look at this though, but I've always looked at it like, no, they're just scared of what you can do. Facts. They're scared of what you can change. They're scared of w- the power you hold and they know how good of a job you're doing and how they are doing mediocre work compared to you. Like, you know what I mean? Like if you really look, the only people that are saying that 
are people that they're scared that they're not doing enough and they know it. Mm-hmm. But you to find that and to know that is one thing. And then to actually like do something, you know what I mean? It's like that thing. Everybody just is, needs to find that strength within themselves. And I think and that is a struggle that we, I, I won't say is uniquely, but it is collectively an issue for black women um, being misunderstood and misrepresented when we are strong, um, strong in our beliefs, strong in our ethics. And they're challenged because people do fear strength. And that has been a technique to keep go really go back into our history. That is exactly, you know, that's one ways that systematic racism continues to rear its ugly head by continuing to put into place things that sort of strip that confidence away from you. Um, and so it, it takes a lot <laughs> to overcome that. It does. And that is why it is a struggle. That's one of the reasons that it's a struggle. Natalie, I'm sorry. Little... I'm saying, saying, no, saying. no, I'm, I'm listening. This is a conversation, right? You can exhale. I am really just really taking in everything because I, I love conversation because you get to see that everyone deals with a lot of the same things. And even if it's not necessarily in the same form, mm-hmm. deal with a lot of the same things. Um, I absolutely agree that a lot of it is the fear of what you lose. And you have to be willing to take that risk to lose because I have found that in losing things that were unnecessary in the first place, it made room for people and for things mm-hmm. that serve my highest self. You understand what I'm saying? It, it made yes. room for that. And I've gotten to the place like you where I'm like, this is who I am. I've gotten to the place where I've, I've given checks back, you know, where I'm like, uh, you know, God bless you, you know, because it, you, you don't, you're going to bring me down being involved in this business relationship, this romantic relationship, whatever sort of relationship is going to serve. It, it, it plays into the narrative that I've fought so hard to get out of. You know what I mean? Maybe if you called me a couple of years ago, I would have been able to tolerate it. Today, I have no patience. My patience is thin when I'm like, nope, I can't do it. Because that that's going to bring me down and, and to that way. And so a lot of people, when I do um, like vocal coach or I teach workshops, I have people, again, going to when you teach people who are less confident. It takes patience, right? Because again, you don't know people's backgrounds. There were a lot of people that missed my own insecurities and they maybe could have viewed it another way. Um, but had they taken the patience and had the patience to have a conversation, mm-hmm. they would have known that what it really was, you know? So it takes that, that patience um, for people to get into it. And again, what you said, Jody, about people looking within themselves, you have to be willing to go deep, right? You have to be willing to really go to a very deep place um, and go to all those places we sometimes like to throw, you know, in, in the back seat or in the trunk and say, we'll get to that later. 
you know, you have to be willing to go to those deep, dark places in order to get to those rock bottom places and deal with those insecurities and deal with those things in order to allow your full self to emerge, you know? So uh, I just piggybacking off what both mm-hmm. of you guys said about, again, mm-hmm. the fear. There are people that have gotten, if I call it out, cause I'm a straight shooter. I've been in sessions where I'll say something that challenges that fear. And I've had people be like, either they cry and they're like, oh, no one ever has called that out before. No one's ever seen that. No, nope. you see me? I'm like, oh, I see you, honey. I was you. Mm-hmm. Or I've had people to get upset mm-hmm. because they're not ready. They're not ready to go there, right? Mm-hmm. I've had people to get upset and then they emailed me like, two or three years later and say, you know what, Natalie, I was in your class. So I was in this thing and you called out something that I, I, I wasn't ready to look at. Um, I'm ready now, you know, but I wasn't ready and I'm sorry if it came off wrong or whatever the case is. But again, it takes people having that willingness to number one, look at themselves, picking back up what you guys saying, but also what will you lose? And you're not going to lose every person that I lost was necessary. I don't even talk to those people today. Mm-hmm. All the people I was trying to keep around, right? Mm-hmm. I was, mm-hmm. not even here. Now that I'm at my highest self, mm-hmm. you're not even here. And I was afraid of losing you, the person that kept me negative about myself. I was afraid of losing you. Goodbye. <laughs> Good right. Night. That is the key. <laughs> But when you say, you know, like scared of because there's people that I've been like scared of losing. But at the end of the day, I'm like, bye. But but that's the thing. I feel like we keep those people in our lives because they're like a a shield for our. you know what I mean? Like they're like a protective kind of thing before you get to yourself. You know what I mean? You can hide behind them and you don't have to be real with yourself. And maybe at the time you believe what they're saying. So when you don't love you then you can accept when someone doesn't love you too, right? Because it is validating what you feel about yourself. But when you start loving yourself more, just a little bit every day, um, you start to really see uh, that whatever this relationship, this conversation is not loving because it's so different than what I say to myself, Mm -hmm. how I feel about myself. So that is a surefire way to know when you are heading in the right direction toward yourself is that when you can really start to see mm-hmm. um, and hear then yep your word you see it and you go away no yeah you talking to me in a way I don't even talk to myself right mm-hmm. but um I think as I and I will always say this that no one will love you more than you love yourself mm-hmm. and Actually, it's a fear. I think it's a fear it's a death thing Could right be. I think that it's a death thing. Uh, when 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 Jody said, uh, and I, you mentioned it earlier, Desiree, you mentioned about um, the comfort zone, right? Um, I think that changing that narrative, you have to be, be willing to kill and die to that old narrative. And it's like death. A lot of us fear death because we don't know what's on the other side, mm-hmm. right? So you're like, I know what this is like, but I don't know what's on that other side. So a lot of people have had this narrative forever, right? Yep. That's what yes. they know. This is the environment. Yes, it is what they know. Yes. 
you know? And so now you have to be willing to lose it all and risk it all and put it all on the table to see. And then when you do see, you're like, oh, this is better. I feel better about myself. I feel all these different things, right? And sometimes those people try to come back and you're like, "Mm -mm, I've already healed. I'm I'm already in a different space, you know? But it's a feeling that you're willing to die to that old narrative because it can't, you can't have both, right? A little bit every day, the more you come into life, that old thing has to die, right? So it's like, you have to be willing to let go just to see what's on that other side. And uh, I can guarantee you, when you start loving yourself, you're gonna lose people. But honey, you're gonna find people that will be there for you. It's like target audience, you know, as a musician. You know, as a musician, some people try to do everything. They wanna do everything because they want to be liked. And I tell people, you're not gonna be liked by everybody. Get over it. That's it. (laughs) <laughs> You're not going to be like and, everybody. And Go sometimes ahead. you might be alone. You may be alone. Um, yeah. When you yeah. have a standard operating procedure, sometimes it could be lonely. And for some people, loneliness is not something they can handle. Um, and so as much as they love themselves, they will, um, we like to say settle, you know, they will settle for other things because the loneliness is a, a much bigger risk than anything. Um, so those are definitely, I think, things to consider that when you stand on your own, sometimes you do end up on an island, but your peace, um, your peace has to be the greatest goal, um, the thing that you want to attain and sustain, because once you have it and really know it and feel it, you don't want to give it away. You don't ever want to give it away again. So but there are some risks to standing um, on your own and, and being really confident and expressing that and everything that you do, how you live, how you work, how you love. And being alone is one of them. <laughs> it's one of them. But I find that it doesn't remain forever. It does not because, remain forever, no. Because if you're willing to let those people go, if you start to become yourself, you now start to uh, attract because you're now going and you're surrounding yourself with the things that that are that reflect the most positive, uh, 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 your hi- highest self yes. and your positive self. Yes. You yes. going around people and all of a sudden you start becoming, you start attracting people that serve the positive narrative, right? And yes. so yes. you're more comfortable, like I'm comfortable with having like one or two good friends than having 15 of something that's toxic, right? Or you find those gigs and those opportunities that serve your highest self. So it's like you have to be willing to go through that cocoon moment, yeah. right? Ooh, cocoon moment. You know, Let me write you, that down. <laughs> you know, you have to be willing because it's like, ah, uh, I'm going to transform into this butterfly. I don't know. I've never been a butterfly before, but we'll see what happens. And then yeah. you're in this cocoon. And now you're sitting there, you're dark, and I've been in plenty of those moments, and you know, where I've been sitting and nothing's happening because I've chosen myself. I've chosen myself. Mm-hmm. The, the past is so far away. I kind of want to go back because at least I wasn't alone. But uh, but at the same time, I remember that hurt. I don't know what's the other side. Should I keep going? Should I keep? And then I kept going. And then I'm like, look at this butterfly. Look at these wings. Yeah. Yeah. 
You know, but you gotta be willing again to go through that cocoon moment. You're gonna be, whoever's listening, you're gonna be alone. Mm-hmm. You're gonna lose people. You're gonna mm-hmm. lose things. Work on yourself, work on your body. You know, I tell people, you don't have to be a size zero. It ain't about that. Work on your body to where you feel the best about yourself. Yes. It's about you. Get your body together for you. Work on your mental state. Work on your spiritual state. Work on those different things. You're going to lose people. Preach. The mm-hmm. past has to pass away. But it's not going to be long. It's not going to be long. And now you're not just going to be that little caterpillar on the tree. Now you can fly wherever you want to go. Now you can go wherever you want to go. Mm-hmm. Right? But just kind of hang on there. Hang on. Hang on. Just hang on a little while longer. It's going to be better on the other side, I promise you. I just want to tell the people who's listening. Amen. Amen. You better preach, Natalie J. Gray. (laughs) (laughs) I actually have another question going back. It says, what are your views on colorism in our community and the damage that it does to our community? Hmm. Do you want, I can go, do you want to go? You go, yeah, you go from that one. Start on that one. I think that it is so strategic and intentional. And if you are, if you don't choose to get out of that narrative or see something different, you'll always fall victim to it. Why did I say that? Glad you asked. This is the reason why. It was absolutely strategic to divide us. That's the point. That has been the point from all along is to divide us, right? Racism in general is meant to divide us, right? I have a song that I wrote, uh, it's in my catalog, it's not out, but it's in my catalog, it's called Blinded by the Green. And it talks about, and I wrote it when everything happened with those protests in Charleston. And I was watching everything that was going on. And what I was saying was, wow, you have black people and white people going against us, going against one another, but it's interesting, nobody's paying attention that it's all about money. It ain't even about that. It's it's deeper than just colorism, right? In general, right? Now let's go to the Black community in general. They don't want us to be divided. Who's the they? Whoever puts these systems in place. They want us to be divided. So they'll say things. They'll put Black, you know, like like dark-skinned queens against light-skinned queens. Why? 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 My mother was a chocolate queen, you know, God rest her. So my grandmother is a chocolate queen. Both of my grandmothers. I think I'm probably the lightest person. <laughs> in my, I didn't even see it. I didn't even see it because I was constantly surrounded by all shades of beauty. But there's this stigma that's placed on us and it's very real. I didn't even realize it, how it affected sometimes, you know, my chocolate queens, you know, and different things like that. I didn't realize, you know, how it could have affected us. So I had people that would make comments against me, you know, uh, you know, because maybe they had their own insecurities and now they, they think, and I'm better. I'm like, I didn't say nothing about that or whatever the case is. So it's all this system to place us against one another because they know if we stop thinking so shallow mm-hmm. to a skin complexion and all those other things, now there's a bigger issue because now we're unified. You know what I mean? And that's just a t- like a little bit of it, but it's absolutely real. But I think that it's absolutely uh, strategic uh, to divide us. 
And, um, and to um, piggyback on what you're saying, yes, I think historically um, it was and is what I consider to be a cultural and generational curse. Mm-hmm. Um, we all know, if you know the history of slavery, that the dark slaves, darker skinned slaves were the ones who were working the fields and the lighter skinned slaves. And the reason they were the lighter skinned slaves were because they were usually the children of the masters of um, the white plantation owners or workers who were raping um, and having affairs and doing whatever they wanted to do with black slaves. Those people worked inside of the house while they worked Um, in the conditions we still would consider deplorable, they were different than the conditions of the black slaves or the the darker skin slaves that were working in the field. And so in that comes a very natural human reaction to colorism, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so generationally, that curse has translated itself down over the many generations since slavery. We, we do know there's plenty of research out there um, that shows that people have a more favorable reaction to black people who are not dark skinned, who black people who are fair skinned. They have more fear reaction to black men who are dark, to black women who are dark. Um, black, um, the darker skinned people historically um, have had difficulties with um, being considered smart um, because, or being um, called out as just, or only focused on where they look and it's been negative. So colorism is real. It, it was all, it has always been historically, I believe, division, and it is our cultural curse. One in which we are still ourselves getting over. As I said, when I was young, I wanted to be light-skinned. <laughs> I did. I really did. Because no, I always no. felt like light-skinned girl. And I tell all of my girlfriends that are or my good friends that are light-skinned. And I used to, you know, I, I always say, oh, you're going to get it because you're light-skinned. Light-skinned girls get everything. Um, which is not true, <laughs> right? You, we, we, we all have the same um, probability of getting something. Um, but, you know, that is what I believe because light skin is closest to white skin. And when you have a inherent and unconscious belief that white is right, white is better, which is the thing that we fight, that unconscious thing that we have to fight um, sometimes, then you tend to keep colorism alive. Um, luckily, things are changing and we are more in tune and more ready to be in tune with all the hues um, within our community, right? And so colorism, while it is still, I think, in play, I see a change in it. I see, um, I hear it less and less amongst children, Um, less and less. And so, but it is still something that we have to address and we have to address it head on, but it is our generational curse. It is our cultural curse that we can find, it finds its roots in slavery. Mm-hmm. Can, I, can I piggyback off that uh, really You quickly? can. Uh, you know, oh, so- you're talking to Jody. I'm sorry. I, 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 didn't, I didn't know if she had to. Yeah. I didn't want to like uh, mess up the conversation. But listen, I think that it is so important. And the reason why it's dying down is because of conversations like this, right? 
conversations yeah. are more open. And I think that's why, you know, I have my own thoughts about why things are trying to be censored. And you have social media where you can interact with someone in India. You can interact with someone, even when we see what's happening, you know, with police brutality, these things have been happening. It's just that now it's on social media, right? Or these different things where I can see what's going on, right? I can have these interactions with people and people that may not be heard, right? And so it's important that we have these conversations because again, you could have felt like to be uh, of a lighter complexion meant it was easier. And in my mind, I'm like, huh? Yeah. You know? So if we never had this conversation or if I always tell people, or if the conversation was already on the defense, because even if you have a conversation with people, sometimes people still don't want to hear it. They, they don't they only go with what they know. They're like, no, I know what's going on. You don't know my story. You don't know what I've right. heard. You know? And so it's a thing where these conversations need to be had because like I said, I didn't always know the struggle of of of, of the, you know, uh, of chocolate, uh, queens of color, because my mother was one and my grandmother was one and they were just as fierce and owned mm -hmm. it. You know, um, I, I didn't know, you know, that that was the case. And of course, again, then someone could feel like I feel like a, a way, and that's not even how I feel, right? Right. But these conversations, you know, um, then we don't get anywhere. You know, you could feel like I've had people uh, even just going down to colorism or just being a female of uh, people saying, oh, you know, you said the smarter thing. I've had people be like, oh, she's beautiful. Like, and she's smart as if because you're this way, you know, right. Like, right. Oh, no, I'm a genius. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm brilliant. I, I'm, I'm a brilliant queen of color, you know, but at the same time, how many people wouldn't have thought that had they never interacted with me because they just think, oh, you're just this sort of face based on the limited resources that they've had through limited communication. Right. You know? And just imagine if we had have had this conversation when we were young, right? Yeah. When when I was had all of this misinformation to have actually had a conversation to say, no, Desiree, that's not my, that is not true, right? Um, how far along? I'm here now, but it took me time to get here and how I would have gotten here so much sooner had I'd have had those conversations when I was younger. And thank goodness we are having those conversations now with our young girls because we recognize how important it is to instill their queendom in them now, right? So they can operate from a place of love, yeah. But a lot of, a lot of people our age also need to hurry up and get past certain things so we don't perpetuate that. Well, that, that is true, yeah. You know what I mean? We can break the curse. We have to instill into our, our, our black boys and our black girls and, and all sorts of people not to perpetuate that curse. At some mm -hmm. point, that thing has to stop. We have mm -hmm. the power to stop. We just have to make sure that we don't perpetuate the lie. You know, because- and, and I think that we are seeing that. I mean, when you oh, look on television now and in, in everything, you're seeing all hues, right? You're not just seeing light-skinned Black women in leading roles. You're seeing all hues of women. Um, so everybody is, I feel, not maybe not everybody, but a, a lot of change has happened. Um, oh, yeah. So I feel like we're moving in the right directions. 
we're definitely moving in the wrong direction. I think that, um, okay, kids have access to a lot of what we're seeing, but sometimes they don't. And sometimes mm -hmm. the only thing that they do hear, like, is um, maybe their mama's comments of, girl, let me get this, let me get this nappy hair. Oh, you're going to need a perm. You're going to need a relaxer. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Now, mm -hmm. yeah, they've seen it on TV, but who is most immediate to them? Yeah, that's true. Has said something like that. Or that's in their true. family, you know, has said something like that. And yes, they have this, this maybe these access to these TVs. We don't know, you know, what every child is watching. And I say that because, you know, being a person um, that does travel a lot, sometimes I'll go to certain parts, you know, in certain cities where they're a little far behind, you know, uh, with what's going on. I know living in LA and, uh, you know, I was exposed to so many different people and different things like that. Right. But, you know, growing up, I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, right? And so now we see different people and we see different things going on. But growing up, it was black, it was white. You right. know, you know, a couple people, yeah. you know, that sort of thing, right? I go to some cities where it's still that. I've, yeah. I've been to some places where they're still behind, you know? And so what's going on in their nucleus, in their hometown, in their family, at the kitchen table, are those little plugs because maybe your mama's insecure and now she's saying something to you yeah. that's, that, that's, that's, you know, make, messing with your mind. And yeah, that's why you see that person on that TV, but you hear what your auntie said, or you hear this different personal. You'll hear something if you do have a cousin that maybe has um, hair that's straighter than yours. Oh, her hair is, is easier to manage. Good. Just a yeah, little that's good. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right, those little cues, not knowing, girl, you're beautiful regardless. But right. again, the mask, you see that mask perspective, which is so important. For those kids, so if they do got a mama and then they go to TV, they're like, oh, that's me. Or they do got a, somebody that says something, that little seed. Because we have to remember, kids don't have experience, right? They don't they, they don't know anything. I, I always tell, like, uh, 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 my niece Ava, she's always like, let me do it. Or you don't, I'm like, girl, you're six. Okay? <laughs> you, you only have six years worth of knowledge. You don't know nothing, okay? <laughs> I tell my students. You know, at the college, I'm like, honey, I've been 21. You're not pulling over these times. You don't know enough, okay? Relax, you know? Um, and so they don't have enough mm -hmm. information, right, mm -hmm. to decipher. Because maybe the only thing they know, I remember in my one of my really insecure moments, I, I would talk to my best friend and I'd be like, the whole world thinks this about me. And I'd be venting on, you know, to her. I'd be like, the whole world doesn't like the way I sing. The whole world doesn't like my musical. And she'd be like, who is it? And I would name about eight people. And she said, so the whole world is eight people now? <laughs> so the whole world is eight people. And I'm thinking, that is, that is true. But because those eight people were my world, that's mm -hmm. what I saw, right? So it's important. Again, I think that the, the global change is going to be so impactful, and it is impactful. But again, it, it's that global, but it's also that local, very inter, you know, uh, immediate you know, uh, reach that's all, also important. And so for anyone that's watching, it's the responsibility of the masses, but it's your responsibility as well to grow up 
to look at yourself, for you to heal and to move forward so that you can, in a proper way, pass the baton to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. The way over time, we erase this curse, you know, over time. But you got to start and do your part, you know, as so, it. Yeah. So there's a question that I actually really want to answer before we have to get going. It says, a lot of what you are saying is also true in the white community. Can you discuss why the challenges for self-love and confidence have extra challenges for black people and people of color? Hmm. Well, I would probably submit, you're right. It is a human problem um, when we're talking about women and self-confidence. And I think that for people of color, we add that extra, the extra layer of um, the systematic racism that we are all plunged into, we're born into it, um, adds an extra layer to it. So on top of just um, figuring out or, or, or building that confidence in yourself as a woman or a man, then you have to add on all that comes with being a black woman or a black man. And those are realities for people of color. Um, I, I'm speaking about black women because I am a black woman. I can't, I can't give any other perspective other than that. But I think, and my dog says she is a black woman too. So she has a perspective that was hers. Um, from the Beagle perspective, she has issues as well. But <laughs> I think that there's just an extra layer that is added for people of color because of the systematic injustices that are present. We know that they're present, um, they're overt, they're internal, external, they are um, woven in the fabric of everything that we do. Um, so I think that that's probably why it adds that extra layer. Um, but yes, you're right. It is definitely self-confidence is, is definitely self-care. All of those issues are, are human, they're human issues. Um, and so much of what we're saying really can be just applied from the humanistic point of view, but in the in, in the African-American community and people of color, there is that extra layer, um, that added piece that maybe people who are not of color, the non people of color don't have to experience in that way. Mm -hmm. yep. uh -huh. and, just, and just think of also, you know, I'm going to touch on police brutality for a second. Um, like you know, if you're a white, you don't have to walk down the street thinking, how do I look? How am I presenting myself? As a black woman or a man, you have to think that way. So your confidence in that scenario is diminished. Like you, again, are hunching your shoulders. You're making sure if somebody's coming down the street and they look at you a weird way, I've done it before. I've gone across the street to make them feel comfortable. You know, like I've changed my whole, whole direction. <laughs> you oh I'm sorry yeah and keep going Desiree what but that's what I'm saying like you know what I mean like there's those kind of levels that diminishes a person's self-love self-worth confidence in yourself you know just having to think that way as as a person of color in general in the world we live in you know as white people you don't have to think those things like you don't have to think of oh I'm leaving my house what am I wearing you know, is it going to offend somebody? You know what I mean? Because growing up, it was like that. It was like, oh, can I, can I go there? You know what I mean? Or, 
or how do I, how do I present myself? I don't want to look too like a stereotypical woman. Because they have consequences and they have historically had consequences. It's not any, um, it's not anything that um, it's been made up. Again, we are a people of collective experience, right? And so even if it didn't exactly happen to you when it happens in the community, it happens to all of us. And so um, there have been consequences to all of the things that you say. So yes, those things are top of mind wherever we go. I, I was gonna share a story. A friend of mine told me, lives in a wonderful community here in Long Beach, gated community, lovely homes. And his dad, gated community, and his dad could not remember the code to get in. And someone pulled up behind him and was like, oh, yeah, I'm in trouble getting in. Let me give you the code. And he said to his dad, he's a white male, and he said to his dad, do you think that would have happened if you were black? Mm-hmm. That someone would have just pulled up behind you and said, oh, you have problems. Let me give you the code to come in. And his dad thought a minute and said, no, it wouldn't have. So those are the extra layers because black people do live in that community. And so if someone black was, that situation had been different, that black person may not have, may have to have done a little bit more explaining where they were going, who they were going to see, or if they live there, that they live there. And so those are the, the added inconveniences, injustices, things that are true and real and not perceived. <laughs> um, um, layers that you know people of color have to endure every day yep and that's a confident and also when confidence comes into play you know as a as a person of color you're always taught to you know like speak up but also at the same time to know the the limits you know yes. what I mean like I don't I don't know because I'm, I'm not you know a person like white but I don't think the, they have to deal with that. You know what I mean? Because we've all seen it. They go headstrong. Where's your manager or something, you know, like that, those, all those viral videos we've seen. But as a black person, you have to walk that fine line of how do I still keep this, like my confidence and I don't shrink to fit you. But at the same time, how do I get my, th- like my point across that I live here. You know what I mean? Like I'm a person too. You know what I mean? You don't want to shrink yourself for anybody, but um, at the end of the day, a lot of people of color do that in our everyday lives and we don't even notice. Because we have real consequences to doing that, to not doing that. And historically, there were consequences to not doing that. And so some of that fear, again, while it may not be your actual lived experience, is passed down to keep us safe, right? We That is the skin that we develop um, over time to keep us safe. If you, I mean, think back, it's before my lifetime. I mean, I'm just 50, but if you go way back into the fifties and sixties that it, you could not talk to your employer or anyone in that manner because the fear or the reality of a physical assault was real from police, from average, just anyone that wanted to do it. And there would not have been much repercussions for that person. There was not a lot of protections um, in place, right? And so a lot of that, as you say, shrinking back was done out of necessity. It was just done out of necessity. And that's sort of that unwritten rule that we pass down. This is what you do. It's necessary that you don't, you know, 
stay calm. We always tell, stay calm. Don't get loud, even when you want to, because it's out of necessity. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is it is a layer of our existence that not many, you know, I don't think everyone has to experience. To your point, Jody. I love, I love that, Jody, that I'm a person. And I think that's the problem is that, again, a lot of the issues, the fundamental things are human issues. Mm-hmm. We're all, as a people, already dealing with mm-hmm. trying to come into yourself. You're mm-hmm. already dealing with, you know, I always tell people like, I don't have time to be anybody else. Natalie wears me out enough, right? <laughs> right? Like becoming Natalie and, and, and who she is, is already a lot. So I don't have the energy to now try to be somebody else, right? So on a, on a human level, that's what we deal with. But again, there's this added layer there that was, again, systematically put in place to keep us at a certain place, in my opinion, because of another culture's own self-hatred. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, and not necessarily a particular person, but whoever put a certain system in place. Because if you feel like I can, if we both run the race, right? And you feel strong enough that you've got the goods to win, you shouldn't have to hold me back mm-hmm. to win. You don't have to cheat if you know you got it. You know what I mean? Um, so, you know, that's a whole nother sort of conversation. But again, going to the narrative of there is this added layer. And it also goes into the Black Lives Matter uh, thing. The whole Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter. No one said, you know, that all lives don't matter. And no one said that by saying Black Lives Matter, we're saying that we want to be above everybody else. Mm-hmm. We're just saying, again, going to that human level, everybody should have to, can start from the same place. Everybody should be able to deal with the, the natural struggle of coming of age and a human, human growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what we should be dealing with. No yeah, one should know that. Yeah. That add, because that life is stressful because mm-hmm. we all still have the same issues. You know, we all have the same issues in the sense of, you know, losing people, losing loved ones, coming mm-hmm. into ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's why you have to have these conversations because you'll see that, you know, you know, there are white people that, that, that dealt with their dads not being in the household. There are mm-hmm. white people that, that right. lived uh, in impoverished situations. But because we don't have these conversations, we don't know that, right? right? And, and, and I think, again, going to the whole Black Lives Matter, it's not saying that all lives don't matter. We never said that. You know, I, I think Black people are some of the most inclusive people ever. You know, let a white person coming in the cookout, we're like, ah, oh, what's up, girl? Come on in here, get you a plate. You know, like that's, that's just who we are. We're very uh, uh, spherical people. We are inclusive. We're, that's who we are. We're just saying... We're not saying that that you that that you can't be included, or we're trying to put ourselves in hierarchy. We're saying, put some respect on my name, <laughs> and you know, and 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 yeah. Yeah. Space yeah. to 
on a human level, deal with the same things that you deal with. And if you find that, you'll find that we're similar, but you'll also be able to appreciate my uniquenesses. And I can then appreciate your uniquenesses because we all bring something different, right? The eyes bring a different thing than than the arms and the the toes and the elbows and everybody, if we're all- I love that. To our strengths, we can all make this thing work. But if you're so insecure, again, going to that insecurity, if you're too insecure to let me shine, then that guy says something to do with you. That ain't my issue. That's your issue. Mm-hmm. That's all. You know? Oh, I could talk to you guys forever. Yeah. <laughs> but we are going to um, call it a night almost. You're the queen right there. Yeah, so both you queens. Both you queens. <laughs> But before we go, we are going to show Natalie's new video, Color Theory. Nice. But before we go, Natalie, I just want to let you have a moment to tell them what Color Theory is about. Yes. So I was so fortunate to uh, link up with a brilliant fashion designer, uh, Angeline Ronique, who actually wrote a poem, a spoken word uh, about what's going on in the country right now. And, you know, with her being in fashion, she has some amazing things. I can't really talk about them. That's going to stem from this. So this is not the only thing that's coming from this, but it basically talks about uh, what does red, white, and blue mean? Uh, from the to- everybody's perspective, from the people of color's perspective, right? You know, because there's so much controversy with the flag and you're disrespecting the, disrespecting the flag, but let's talk about what it looks like from our perspective uh, and not just our perspective, but dealing with, again, the social issues that we're dealing with in the, in the country, um, but universal equality in general. So it's a, a little bit more. And if you stay tuned and go to like social media and you'll see more behind the scenes of more in depth about what the song means. Uh, but of course, you know, art is in the eye of the beholder. So check it out, watch this video and just glean from it um, from yourself and just absorb from it. And you feel, and you tell me what the story feels like for you. Yes. And on that, we're going to go to the video. Thank you all. I hope you stay and watch it because it's amazing. And have a good night. And know you are enough, too. Okay. You are enough. You are enough. Thank you, Jody, for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, too. Thank you both. Have a good night, everyone. supposed to be for freedom or that's what you teaching red white and blue what does it mean to you that same red white and blue kills me and you or is it you and i the last i heard was i pledged allegiance to that red white and blue or is it an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth for every soul hung from american roots red white and blue What does it mean to you? These colors don't signify freedom to our culture. Instead, hate, fear, and murder. When bloodshed is mixed with the hue of anxiety, it's destined to always produce a shade of catastrophe. Red glares blaze so bright, the language of the unheard speaks through the night. Look in the mirror, what do you see? You see flames, I see pain. The red stripes are
are across power backs. The white stars are from heads that were cracked. That red and blue that means so much to you makes the dye that stain the eyes that are blacked.